Love That Neighborhood is now on Patreon, which offers exclusive bonus content to members. For just 10 bucks a month, you can unlock bonus interviews, live streams, ebooks, and more. By becoming a Patreon member, you're helping us make more of the podcast content that you love and supporting our Urban Missions program. It's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com slash lovethyneighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash lovethyneighborhood and sign up today. Love Thy Neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. oh definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. Like if my lenses say green, you know, green is my perceived reality. That actually includes God. So, you know, God is green and Jesus is green and the Bible is green. So what I often say is just that psychology informs theology. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. And we are excited because we are going to be kicking off a brand new series. You know, for years, during the opening credits, you have heard us say, this is a show about how you relate to God and everyone else. And in past seasons, we've honestly spent the bulk of our time on that everyone else piece. And we are excited because we're going to kick off a brand new series today about how our Enneagram type influences our faith and our relationship with God. So one of our favorite quotes around here is from Richard Rohr, and he says, the way you relate is the way you relate. Yep. And so we believe that each type has certain relational patterns and styles that they use interpersonally that they are also going to use as they relate to God. Mm -hmm. So they're going to bring their lens into their theology, into their worship, into their devotion to God. And so they're going to be having some of the same victories and foibles, yes, that we would have interpersonally also within the context of their faith. Yeah, because the way you relate to other people Mm -hmm. is the way that you relate to God. And we see that all throughout Scripture. God is constantly drawing this line between, oh, if you love me, you're going to love other people. Mm -hmm. Oh, if you love me, you're going to love the poor. Oh, you love the poor? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? You're also loving me. There's always this direct line that's drawn. When you gave him a cup of water, you were giving it to me. Exactly. So you have one relational style that you apply universally. So we're going to make some of the following points throughout the series. You know, the way that you relate to other people is the same way you relate to God. 
each type reflects something beautiful mm-hmm. about God, and we want to celebrate that. But also, each type exaggerates their gifts and ends up limiting their view of God. Right. Um, and one of the things in particular that we're going to explore in each episode is this idea of a slanted rule of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to give you just kind of a foretaste of what that is going to be. So, right. Lindsay, tell us a little bit about that. Well, the rule of life is how you order your days. You know, back to the old, you know, Jesuits and the monks and priests, perhaps, you know, that this is these are the things that are most important. I'm going to order my day accordingly. So if I have a slanted rule of life, that means I'm giving exaggerated importance and emphasis to certain things at the detriment of other things. And then we're going to become imbalanced. Yeah. So each of the nine types has the things that they exaggerate and the things that they diminish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they think about God or they read the scriptures or they practice the spiritual disciplines, they're going to be like super, super strong on certain things and really diminished on other things. So each of the nine types tends to orient their experience of God around a singular thing. And that singular thing comes at the expense of the others. So let's take a look at those things. Yeah. So, Lindsay, type one. Type one, their experience of God tends to orbit around obedience. Mm -hmm. They love following the rules, making sure other people are following the rules, understanding God's rules, holding up his laws and commandments. That brings a lot of safety, security, love and acceptance. Yep. But obedience gets exaggerated. Yes. At the detriment of other things. Yes. Okay. Type two, their experience of God tends to orbit around service. Mm -hmm. So uh, they want to take on the servant hearted nature Mm -hmm. of Jesus, take care of people in need, respond to people's needs. But that service gets exaggerated at the detriment of other things. Right. Type three is going to be producing. You know, how much can they achieve for God? How many things can they get done using their energy for the kingdom of God? Yep. Type four, their experience of God tends to orbit around authenticity. Mm -hmm. So they're showing up with their genuine selves, really where they are emotionally. They want to connect with God in all honesty, but their emotions can tend to take over at the same time. And so authenticity gets a little out of control. (laughs) Yes. So for type five, their experience of God tends to orbit around knowledge. So they want to deep dive into the text or the original languages or, you know, these specific meanings and really have a depth of understanding. But that level of depth and knowledge might come at a cost of something else, say, relationships. Mm -hmm. For type six, uh, their experience of God tends to orbit around faithfulness. So these folks are loyal. They Mm -hmm. really embody the covenant nature of God. Mm -hmm. They really want to be just just deeply faithful people. But that reliability kind of gets exaggerated to where they can become inflexible. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can become rigid Mm -hmm. uh, and they begin to thrust that onto the relationship with God. Right. For type seven, it's going to be joy that they have an emphasis on 
joy and celebrating and happiness that doesn't leave room at the table for the full range of emotions. Yeah. Uh, for type eight, their experience of God tends to orbit around victory. Mm-hmm. So is it true that God is a victor? Yes. Is it true that uh, that the Lord sticks up for those that, that need people to stick? Yes. But eights tend to over-identify with mm-hmm. that victory and strength uh, mm-hmm. at the exclusion of some really important traits and characteristics. Yeah. So lastly, the nine, their experience of God tends to orbit around peace. And again, we see God, we see Jesus as the Prince of Peace. It's such a good thing, but it can't be focused on in exclusion to all other aspects of God's nature and character. Yep. So if you think about this list, you know, obedience, service, producing, authenticity, knowledge, faithfulness, joy, victory, peace— I mean, we just described Jesus. like All the good things. All the good things. These mm-hmm. are not bad things. The problem is we pluck out this one attribute mm-hmm. and then we exaggerate it and mm-hmm. we make it into everything and we diminish these other ones. It's good things taken too far. Mm-hmm. So we are going to spend some time over the next 10 episodes exploring this important topic. And to help us today, we're actually being joined by our friend, Lisa Vischer. Hi, guys. So Lisa is most widely known for her work on VeggieTales as Junior (laughs) Asparagus. Her voice acting chops are not why she is with us today. No, uh, Lisa (laughs) is actually an Enneagram coach with a laundry list of certifications, including Integrative 9, Jerry Wagner's Enneagram Spectrum of Personality, trainings with both Russ Hudson and the Narrative Enneagram. However, what you as our listeners should know is that though Lisa has learned from all of these various teachers, the emphasis of her work is on offering a biblically-based approach to the Enneagram and helping people understand how their personality is shaping both their relationships and their faith. So, Lisa, we are so excited to talk with you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad to be back. You know, when people think of the Enneagram, they almost always think of it as a personality tool to benefit peer-to-peer relationships. Why should we consider our personality when we think about faith in God? Well, um, I would probably just say what Richard Rohr said. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) that's what I was thinking. (laughs) But um, I I would just start by saying that, you know, faith in God means having a relationship with God. And like you guys were saying, we bring our same selves to every relationship where we bring our fears and our desires and our needs and our expectations. You know, we bring it all. So I just think that if um, human relationships benefit from us becoming more aware of what is unconsciously operating within us, then the same is going to be true for our relationship with God. Yeah. I think about the time, like, self-awareness is hard, you know? Yeah. And and we, <laughs> we just think that the dynamic mm-hmm. between us and God is just different mm-hmm. than everything mm-hmm. else. And in one sense, of course, it is. But in another mm-hmm. sense, it's not at all. Right. I think we also come and we just think, well, this is me. Yeah. Take it or leave it a right. little bit. like. This is how I sing. This is how I pray. This is how I do it. And I don't need to look at is my personality, is my ego playing into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, with that in mind, what is at risk when we fail to consider the role our personality plays in our relationship with God and our theological views? Yeah. So, I think there is much at risk, um, starting probably with our ability to see clearly 
the popular saying, we see things not as they are, but as we are. Mm. You may have talked about this in past episodes, but if we think of our type as a lens that we're wearing but don't know we're wearing, then it colors everything. Like if my lenses say green, I'm seeing a green world with green people who think, you know, I think they should be doing green things for sure. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, green is my perceived reality. I can't see it any other way. That actually includes God. So, you know, God is green and Jesus is green and the Bible is green. And we focus on the green verses and we prioritize green things. And so what I often say is just that psychology informs theology. Mm. Can you unpack that a little bit more for me? So one risk is that our personality is going to skew our scene without us knowing it. Another risk I've heard you say, Jesse, is having the slanted rule of life. I like that phrase. Mm. In addition to this lens, our psychological wiring is also a filter that's deciding for us what to pay attention to and what to dismiss and what to prioritize and what to avoid. And so because ego structure is fear-driven, we have a deep emotional need to adhere to this internal programming in order to keep fear at bay. And that can cause us to overemphasize and even moralize the perspectives and motivations and behaviors of our way of being in the world. And that, I think, can cause us to overemphasize certain theological positions and practices. And now our psychology has become our theology. Hmm. Yeah, because I do. I think about like how often many of us, I don't know, we talk about theology like it's just empirical truth. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, this is correct. This is the correct way mm -hmm. of understanding truth, of understanding the yeah. Bible. And yeah. then what happens often is that as the years go on and you look at a, a man or a woman and you look at sort of the theological tribe they're a part of, and you realize often they have sought out or even formed a theology mm -hmm. that is reinforcing the aspects of their own issues that they have are not yet willing to take ownership of. Yeah, yeah exactly. Some theology is just, we would say, kind of facts. Like, these are the facts we believe, mm -hmm. but the way we order them and prioritize them and emphasize them is going to have a lot to do with our personal preferences based on our ego. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if our personality, especially when it's, you know, not being honored, recognized, you know, uh, viewed in, you know, reality. Mm -hmm. Like if our personality ends up having this limiting factor on our faith, mm -hmm. then how can we use the Enneagram to expand our view of God? Yeah. So, you know, this, this was the question I asked myself about five years ago when I was trying to figure out, even just for myself, how I was going to think about this integration of psychology and theology and and why and how. And that led me to develop uh, just a simple framework that I call the nine sacred spaces. And my curiosity at the time was if the Enneagram is an accurate catalog of human design, and it sure seems to be so, how can it help us better understand the designer, like in, in whose image we're made? Mm. And one way you know, for sure that's true is, is that each type at its best just brightly reflects a unique and beautiful aspect of God's character. And as I was just thinking about that, I began to kind of view the Enneagram as a visual representation of God's glory 
in nine spaces, kind of looking backwards from de- from human design to really look at the Enneagram in, in the framework of divine design. Okay. Will you share what those nine spaces are? Yes, I'd love to. So the first, so again, I call these sacred spaces. So there's, there's, there's things that are in these spaces. There's divine things that are in these spaces. So the first space, which relates to, of course, Enneagram type one, I call the sacred space of righteousness. And so here we see God's perfection and infinite goodness, which is really what ones are striving after. They're, they're wired around kind of this aspect of God's nature. You know, you think of the verses, as for God, his way is perfect and the Lord is righteous in all his ways. Think that, that God's nature is holy fits here. Um, and I think about Jesus as the Lamb of God, right? The spotless, blameless, without defect Lamb of God who who died in order to actually gift us his righteousness. I love that. Uh, it's interesting that the ideas that you're exploring, I've got this uh, section in my book that's coming out in January where I talk about what does each type ensure that the church reflects about Jesus? Oh. And uh, and I feel like these two things, like they interplay yeah. really well. So like you use the word righteousness. And what I say in the book is that type ones ensure that the church reflects the righteousness and integrity of mm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's the sacred space for type two? So uh, two, I call the sacred space of love. It's not surprising. In Jeremiah, God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you with loving kindness. Um, So this space encompasses God's nature as kind and compassionate, which is what twos want to be. Um, The Holy Spirit, too, he's our comforter, right, and our helper. I think that fits here. Um, Jesus as friend to sinners and this humble servant, this one who lays himself down and compassionately serves us in love. And you can see, I mean, the, this, these aspects of God's nature, almost like facets of a diamond, are very different than the first space, um, and yet all true to who God is. Yeah, very similar words. Um, I say that uh, type twos ensure that the church reflect Jesus's servanthood and compassion. Mm. Very, mm-hmm. very similar, mm-hmm. you know, to your language just about, you mm-hmm. know, love, love is a good container for all those things. Mm-hmm. I love this because, you know, you and I, it's not like you and I talked beforehand or when you were writing your book. Um, I love when there's confirmation uh, mm-hmm. among like-minded people where we're having the same ideas. I think that that kind of helps to confirm that we're all tapping into something that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the next sacred space? So three, the I call the sacred space of glory. So Psalm 96.3 says, Declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous deeds among all people. You know, so God does things. He's not idle. You know, he's not aimless or purposeless. In fact, like Isaiah 46 talks about, where he says, my purpose will stand and what I have said, I will bring about and what I've planned, I will do. So this is the doing and completing and the purposeful part of God's nature. I kind of think of this space as encompassing God's glorious works and his marvelous deeds and really his nature um, as excellent and worthy of praise, which is what threes want to be. Um, for Jesus, I think about author and finisher right? Perfecter of our faith. He's, he finished, he, he finishes the work. He finished the work on the cross and he's finishing the work in us. Um, and I think about him as the vine 
um, who causes mm -hmm. us to be fruitful. So this is a very um, kind of busy and fruitful space. Mm. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I uh, I write that that type threes ensure that the church reflect the vision and ambition of Jesus, and so it's uh, it's the ability to go. Okay, you know, Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. the kingdom of God. Like he's he's casting this vision, mm -hmm. but also like. I mean, he clearly had a plan. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. he was not just, you know, aimless. Uh, there's very much a sense that he has this vision and he's going to bring it into reality. Yeah. Well, and I think ambition is related, right, to to achieving a goal in some way or having the strong desire to kind of focus on and achieve that goal. So I think that fits well. Mm. I like that, Lisa, you used the word glory and Jesse, you used the word ambition. And both of those can have a negative or a positive connotation. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's sometimes, especially if we're talking about a three, mm -hmm. we're starting to get a little snarky around those words yeah. like, oh, yep. you know, their ambition, they're they're out for vain glory. Right. But here we're showing the true piece yeah. of that. The mm -hmm. the goodness that mm -hmm. can be a part of their superpower. Mm -hmm. You know, and that you don't have to be ashamed. We just need to have a right order. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, here's what we're going to do. When we come back, we're going to continue to explore the nine sacred spaces of the Enneagram types, but we're also going to talk about what happens when we take these things way too far and how does that impact our ideas and views and relationship with God. So stay with us. Hey, this is Kirsten, the recruitment assistant at Love Thy Neighborhood. We connect young adults directly with local nonprofits, where they provide volunteer hours free of charge to ministries while also gaining real-world work experience. One area of service is our social enterprise track. I'm Stephanie Culver. Stephanie manages Thrift & Thrive, a thrift store that also provides job training for men coming out of addiction and homelessness. And she shared some of the ways our interns have served at the store. In so many different ways, we've had interns who helped us set up our eBay and help set up the way we work it and how we do it. They come out here and they worked with our guys and they do sorting and pricing and cleaning and just anything we need. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 through 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we've been talking with Lisa Vischer. We are making our way through what Lisa calls the nine sacred spaces. And Lisa and I are doing a little notes comparison between <laughs> some of the things she's thinking through, some of the stuff I'm thinking through. And then uh, and then in just a moment, we're going to talk about what happens when we take these things too far. We just wrapped up type three. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about type four. Okay. So I call four the sacred space of origin. And so this is the deepest of the spaces. I think here we see God's nature as ancient of days, the, the original one. There's no one like him, which is what fours want to be. <laughs> um, we see him as source, right? Source of all things. 
And so because he's the source of all things, this space encompasses, I think, God's creative nature. He's a maker. He makes beautiful things, and he makes all things beautiful. Um, and I think this is a space of identity because, as we talked about in a former podcast episode, identity is, is found in source. So when I think about Jesus, I think about bridegroom. He's our bridegroom and the lover of our soul. And I also think about man of sorrows, you know, who empathizes with us. What I like about that sacred space is even the way you present it, it just feels deep. Like I'm just (laughs) imagining in my mind, like the universe, Mm -hmm. you know, like those pictures that we saw of galaxies far, far, far away. And Hmm. I think that brings in that depth of the force, you know, that Mm -hmm. they're always longing for something and like reaching Mm -hmm. out into the depths Mm-hmm. to find yeah. meaning and beauty. and mm-hmm. So I really like that. So I say that type fours ensure that the church reflect the sensitivity and creativity mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so when you've got fours as a part of a church, mm-hmm. they are going to ensure, are we being emotionally sensi- sensitive, emotionally mm-hmm. attuned, mm-hmm. but also are we reflecting the originality, the creativity mm-hmm. of Jesus mm-hmm. himself? Also that authenticity. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think we need that in the church. When we have a lot of threes and sevens and (laughs) some people on stage, we need the force to be like, wait. Yeah, they're like, they're like, performative is fine, you know, (laughs) but it better be, it better be authentic. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, And I, and I appreciate the way that fours and like some people call the fours space kind of like the deep heart. Yeah. So it's not just deep in terms of like ideas. Uh, or the idea of of what is meaningful, but it's really um, deep in the heart in terms of the depth of emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why, you know, force empathize with people. And that's why I think of Jesus as man of sorrows in this space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about the five sacred space. Okay, so five I call the sacred space of omniscience which encompasses, of course, God's nature as all-seeing and all-knowing and all-wise, which is what fives want to be. <laughs> I think about verses like Romans eleven thirty-three: oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I think about uh, how God is a revealer of the hidden things, things that we don't know. And so I think he, like God's nature as light belongs in this space. And so Jesus as light of the world, Jesus as rabbi and teacher, because this is a a sacred space of perfect clarity and complete understanding. Mm, That's good. That's good. Um, I say that uh, the type fives ensure that the church reflect the wisdom and contemplation of Jesus. Mm. Um, And so Mm. they're always the ones that are kind of going like, but what's the deeper truth here? Mm-hmm. Like what, you know, have we looked at the, the full picture? Mm-hmm. Um, have we really gone beyond just sort of the systematic theology of this conversation right. and gone into the real, true, deep implications of what we're talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. Um, and so just wisdom and contemplation. That's good. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right. Let's look at the sacred space for type six. Yeah, so six, I decided to call the sacred space of sufficiency Mm -hmm. because I think this is where we see God's nature as I am. He's self-sustaining. He lacks nothing. He's unchanging. Um, So, you know, we're we're seeing God's nature as steady and certain, all-sufficient and trustworthy 
which is really what sixes want to be. And so I think of this space as kind of Jehovah Jireh, the one who's faithfully guiding and providing out of his sufficiency. And Jesus is the good shepherd who never leaves our side. So Mm. this is a really precious, I think, space. It's a very, very safe and secure space of of just um, complete security. Man, my type six wife would love that <laughs> the, that notion of just full mm-hmm. su- sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say that uh, type sixes reflect, um, they, ins- they ensure that the church reflects the covenant and reliability mm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, we, when we consider, you know, Jesus like makes a promise and then when we couldn't fulfill it, mm-hmm. he fulfilled it himself. Yeah. Like he fulfilled yeah. both ends of that deal. Right. For our our sake, yeah, that's and, sufficiency. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, and uh, and his yes was yes, his no was no. Just that reliability, yeah, um, and trustworthiness. And bring that, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. Love that. That's great. I just I think Shepherd is a good picture for the six mm-hmm. because you've got the protecting, the keeping the sheep together, mm-hmm. the like watchful eye, but then you've also got the fighting off the bears and the lions (laughs) and, you know, keeping danger at bay. That's good. And so you see both of those sides in Jesus and then also in the six, in type six people in the earth. Exactly. It's beautiful. Okay. Number seven. All right, so uh, seven, I call the sacred space of freedom. Um, so this is the, if, if, if four is the deepest space, this one's the widest. And so, Lindsay, when you were talking about the universe, that's actually my analogy for seven. I know what you were saying about ah. deep, but yeah. here, like, I think about how the universe is just ever expanding, right? There's literally no boundaries. <laughs> it just keeps expanding. Um, and that's just kind of the energy going on in this space and, and, and the energy going on in the verse that with God, all things are possible. Um, so this is a space just of ultimate possibility. Um, we see God's nature as unlimited and joyful and free to do anything he pleases, which is what sevens really want. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think this space also encompasses liberation. Um, and abundance and feasting. Um, and I think about Jesus, of course, as living water, the one who satisfies um, and the bread of life. Mm. It makes me think, and uh, I might be reaching because I don't know exactly the full context of this term, but it makes me think of uh, <laughs> when people have used the term like Christian hedonism, mm. yes. you know, yes. this mm-hmm. notion of just a yeah. deep, deep sort of uh, godly revelry. Mm-hmm. It's like this sense of uh, of just the full goodness of life. Yeah. We're just going to drink it in. Mm-hmm. I call it like being full of fullness. Mm-hmm. The fullness That's of good. fullness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So I say that uh, I say that type sevens ensure that the church reflect the joy and celebration oh. of Jesus. Yep. Um, and so you know Jesus. Clearly loved to party. He clearly loved uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well to celebrate at any chance he was given. Like mm-hmm. if there was a small act of faith, he celebrated it. Yeah, if there was true. this great movement of God, he celebrated it. Like uh, so, you look at Jesus, and it's like joy, celebration, uh, and sevens ensure that the body of Christ represents that. Mm. You know, I'm just I just had a new thought as you were talking that the freedom he had the freedom 
to celebrate. Yeah. I like the way those two go together. Yeah, I was thinking actually similarly, Lisa, you said, I think you said liberator Mm -hmm. for the sacred space. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have thought about that necessarily for the sevens, but then I was thinking, Mm -hmm. when I think of a liberator, I think of someone unlocking your chains, Mm -hmm. which is what Jesus does, right? Right. He unlocks our debt to Mm -hmm. sin, our our prison sentence. Mm -hmm. And then what would you do if you... If you were set free. Exactly. You would celebrate, exactly right? right? And <laughs> I love that you said that because I I think mm-hmm. sometimes we we definitely see feasting yes, and right. that, you know, Jesus, you know, people called him a drunkard mm-hmm. and whatever else. <laughs> but also the joy that comes from being a liberator mm-hmm. and from being the liberated, mm-hmm. you know, both sides mm-hmm. that we see such joy yeah. And freedom to live in that space. And I guarantee you that every seven listening is probably jumping up and down because mm-hmm. this is this is what you know sevens are are wired around. They're oriented around this aspect of I would call maybe like divine reality. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a really good space. All the spaces are. Yes. Okay. What's the sacred space for eight? Okay. So I call eight the sacred space of omnipotence. You know, Psalm 145.13 says your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Or Second uh, Chronicles of 26 says power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. So this is a powerful space. In this space, we mm-hmm. see God's nature as immortal, invincible, sovereign, and all-powerful all of which eights would like to be or trying to be. Mm -hmm. And so this space encompasses God's strength and his power and his dominion and his victory and his justice um, and really his nature as almighty. Uh, And so I think of Jesus as, um, I actually think of him as the Lion of Judah um, and the resurrection and the life, right? The one whom the grave could not hold. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I, I debated so many ways like mm-hmm. on this one because I feel like there were so many different angles mm-hmm. and things yeah. that I could say. Do I go around? Do we talk about strength? You know, right. um, ultimately, here's where I landed. I, I said that uh, type eights ensure that the church reflects the protection and clarity of Jesus. Mm. So when we when we look at Jesus, so often Jesus was protecting the vulnerable uh, yeah. protecting um, mm-hmm. people that were being abused, taken advantage of by others. Uh, but often he was also extremely clear. Mm-hmm. And, and that clarity mm. uh, gained him many enemies. That's true. Um, but even the enemies that gained him, it was because he loved them enough that I'm going to tell you the truth yeah. and live mm-hmm. with the consequences of telling you the mm-hmm. truth. Um, true, yeah. And so, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so protection and clarity truth is what teller. they, yeah, they, they bring that to the body of Christ. That's so true. Mm. Tell us about the sacred space of type nine. So nine, I call the sacred space of omnipresence. Um, You know, God is everywhere. Can a man hide himself? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Um, Psalm 139.7 says, where can I go to flee from your presence? Nowhere. So here we see God's nature as, as permeating and just ubiquitous and eternal. So he's the first and the last, and he's the beginning and the end, and he's the Alpha and the Omega. And God's presence is unifying. I think it's really interesting that within his very nature, 
right? He's three in one. So there's there's communion and and connection and unity even within his very nature. And we know that his presence is peace and his presence is rest. It's a very restful space, but but mm. powerfully restful, right? Like very invigoratingly restful, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus, uh, I think of, you know, Emmanuel and God with us, right? He is just with us, never leaves. He's mediator. Uh, he reconciles us to the Father, and he's Prince of Peace, and he accomplishes reconciliation and peace between us and God and one another. So, you know, this is the sacred space of with, this unbroken fellowship and, and peaceful unity. Mm. Mm. I love that. It ties very clearly uh, <laughs> to, to my thoughts, because because I say that type nines ensure that the church reflects the peace and acceptance of Jesus. Mm. And mm-hmm. so much of what you're talking about, about that rest, mm-hmm. it comes with this embedded notion of deep acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we don't rest as people yeah. unless we truly feel accepted. So true. And, mm-hmm. uh, and nines, uh, nines are like ensuring that the world sees a picture of Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, those qualities of Jesus. I love that. I, those words just bring to me the picture of Jesus around the campfire with his disciples and he's not necessarily teaching in that moment, but they are just mm-hmm. safe in his presence. Mm-hmm. They're not sleeping. They're not you know, doing nothing. Mm-hmm. But it's that invigorating mm-hmm. safety of these are my people. Mm-hmm. I'm safe in the presence of, of God, mm-hmm. you know, created into man. And just that it's a showing up mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. in the restfulness. Yeah, I like to talk mm-hmm. to nines about how powerful the space is. In fact, I, I actually go so far as to say I think nines are the most powerful type. Um, mm-hmm. And that perhaps is why they are wooed to sleep, you know, because they're the ones that are that are unifying us and bringing us all together. And this idea of, of relaxation, I'll, I'll just share this, that um, I, I once heard that Dallas Willard was speaking somewhere and someone raised their hand and said, you know, what one word? would you choose to represent the entirety of Jesus as best as possible? Which is quite a question to throw at someone live. Yeah, and yeah so, that's a tough one, right? Yeah, and so he, he said, let me think on it, because he's wise, I'll tell you tomorrow. And he came back, and the word that he chose as, you know, if we're gonna choose one word for Jesus was the word relaxed. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and as you as you think about that, I mean that's kind of a mind bender at first, but I have really come to agree with that over time as I've as I've leaned more into relaxation and not the kind of relaxation a powerful relaxation, right? Where again, like people were accepted, right, in Jesus' presence. When someone is is relaxed um, and accepting of you, we all just sort of heave that deep sigh that I just heaved. Right. Mm-hmm. And we stop striving. And so there's this this very powerful thing about peacemaking and reconciling and presence with one another. So this is I love ending on this space. It's so beautiful. So what I love about this is when we think about, you know, every single human being is made in God's image. That's a lovely idea, but I think it's really vague. <laughs> and I yeah. love how this lands it and um, and how just as we think about that everyone has a space where they deeply connect with God and where they brightly reflect his image in this unique and beautiful way. 
Part of why I developed this is because I felt such strong conviction that in order to look at the shadow side of ourselves and without fear or shame is that we need to ground our design in divine design first because the the type structures are really just, you know, the fallenness in these nine spaces and our reaction to it in, in almost trying to recover what is lost in those nine spaces. Mm, that's so good. Well, let's do this. Stay with us because when we come back, we've got a few final things that we're going to talk about and then we're going to ask Lisa 11 quick questions. So stay with us. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And we've been talking with Lisa Vischer. We have just finished exploring the nine sacred spaces. Okay, Lisa, so talk to us about how you think personality can hinder faith in God. Yeah, so personality, right, is part of ego structure, which is a psychological defense system that's fueled by fear. And I tend to think about fear, my just personal opinion is that fear is always fueled by lies. So that would mean that every type's core fear would be fueled by some kind of a lie. And as I was thinking about that, it just sort of led me to thinking back about, you know, how does this fit with the sacred spaces? And because the sacred spaces are really, you know, perfect, they're kind of heaven, perfect reality, and we don't live in perfect reality. So we experience fallenness in all of these nine spaces. So instead of good, there's evil. Instead of love, there's hate. Instead of peace, there's war. You know, instead of joy, there's sadness. In all of these spaces, there's a fallenness. Um, and I think the fallenness in our home space wounds us really deeply. And I kind of see our personality patterns as an attempt to restore it. You know, so I'm going to fix the fallenness in my space. So I'm going to be the joy bringer, you know, or I'm going to be the peacemaker. But the bigger problem is that the absence of this aspect of divine reality suggests a lie. It suggests a lie about God, and it suggests a lie about me. So, for example, one's fear of badness and corruption. And I think we could say that that's fueled by the lie that God is condemning. Mm. And so I must avoid error and fix all that is wrong to be worthy to avoid that condemning. Yeah. And the two fear of not being loved would be fueled maybe by the lie that God is neglecting. Hmm. So I must avoid neediness and earn love through selfless service. 
Yeah. The three fear of failure, I think, is fueled by the lie that God is demanding. So I must work tirelessly to please him and prove my value. Mm. The four fear of having no identity or, or even having um, a broken identity, I think is fueled by the lie that God is rejecting. And so I must yeah. differentiate myself, right? And I must suffer to be seen and embraced. Got to mm-hmm. get his attention. I think the five fear of emptiness is fueled by the lie that God is withholding. And so I have to ration my resources and, and like independently accumulate knowledge to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God's not a God of abundance. Right, it's yeah. the opposite. Um, the sixth fear of danger, I think, is fueled by the lie that God is untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. And so I must continually try to see and solve problems before they arise to be safe. That's yes, how I'm going to find yeah. my safety. The seven fear of limitation, I think, is fueled by the lie that God is restricting. So I must continually generate new ideas and plans for myself, experiences to be happy. Mm. The eight fear of vulnerability, I think we could say, would be fueled by the lie that God is indifferent. And I say this because I asked an eight once. Um, I, I wasn't sure which word to put here. And that is the word that this person told me had to be here, mm. Um, mm. meaning like, my there there's not nobody has my back there's just indifference to the injustice there's indifference and so i have to wall myself off and retain control to be protected yeah no one else is going to stick up for me including god right yeah so i have to and then the nine fear of separation i think um is fueled by the lie that god is distant so i have to forget myself and keep the peace in order to have that connection that um, I'm, mm. I'm longing for. So, I mean, this mm. is kind of heavy, but I, I think it's just so incredibly important if, you know, if part, a big part of learning about our psychological wiring is uncovering this, this compulsive habitual fear, what do we do? You know, is it, I just say, stop fearing failure? Cause that's silly. <laughs> mm. um, and, and I think this gives us a handle on how we're, we want to approach trying to contend with this fear, because I think fear work is lie work. So mm-hmm. I just think these lies that cause us to believe untrue things about God and myself, that, that, that is a real hindrance <laughs> to my faith and relationship with God, if that's just how kind of the fallenness in me and the fallenness in the world are combining to how what I believe about him. So in just working with the core fears, I think we have to identify the lie that's driving it. And maybe you'll have a different word. Maybe maybe something else will come to you. Um, I just ask God. I often stop and ask myself, like, is there any lie online right now? Is there any lie at play? Mm. But especially for that core fear, to identify the lie driving it and then seek to replace it with truth. Because truth sets us free. It restores our connection to perfect love. Because these lies break our connection. And perfect love is what casts out fear. Yeah, because I do. I think about all the things that we did as children that we felt were necessary Mm -hmm, to survive. mm -hmm. And in some capacity, they served us, you know, to. But then we grew up and we universalized those early experiences. And we said, well, God must be like this. Right. And God's God's like, that is not who I am. Yeah. Um, And and there's a sense in which we have to at some point come to terms with. I'm believing lies, right? And I'm I'm behaving the way I am and seeing the way that I am because right. I believe a certain thing about God, right? My mom always yeah. used to say, growing up, like we act out of what we believe. 
And mm -hmm. so we don't just yeah. want to you know, like try to fix behavior. We really want to get to, and that's why the Enneagram is so powerful because it speaks to motivation and it speaks to to the underlying beliefs about things. And so this was just my way of trying to give us something to focus on that I think is really hindering, unconsciously hindering, so that like you know, like you said, there we can look at them and say that is not true. And mm -hmm. um, I, we can go to His Word, and this is what I've encouraged people to do: is go to His Word and find whatever traits of God or verses speak to that particular lie and then just rehearse them and wallpaper your mind with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so let's talk then a little bit about like, okay, so if this is sort of the swamp that we find ourselves lost in, like, what does it look like to get out of this? You know, if we want a more robust relationship with God, what, what do you recommend? I would say, this is a little bit of a turn, but I mean, I, I, my answer to that is I would say learn to be more present, yeah. more aware of and attentive to what you are experiencing in your body moment to moment. Um, and the reason I say that is because though God exists out of time, outside of time, right? We don't. So, you know, we can mentally and often we're mentally in the future or the past, and that is a real problem because the present moment is our only chance to experience God's presence. It's because our body is confined to being in the present moment. So this is truly our only opportunity to experience or, ha or relate to God, to access divine resources, to receive his gifts, to feel his love. That happens in the now. So I, I think if we want a more robust relationship with God, we have to do the work of being present and that's our work to do because God's already here, which actually reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that I'll just share by C.S. Lewis to speak to this point. He says, we can ignore but nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him and he walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always easy to penetrate. The real labor is to remember to attend, in fact, to come awake and still more to remain awake. Mm. Mm. That is good. Well, Lisa, thank you. You know, for you that are listening, we are really looking forward to this series with you, the ability to journey with you and to really consider how is my way of seeing and being and relating how is it influencing my relationship with God how is it influencing my relationship to the church mm -hmm. how is it influencing my worldview uh, and really just sort of thinking through the way in which our psychology is shaping our theology mm -hmm. and so this is uh, this is an important series we are really looking forward to talking uh, through this with you all um, but for now I think we owe Lisa a few more questions so for <laughs> oh, our final segment called 11 quick questions. So we are going to ask you 11 questions and you can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Mm, okay. So here we go. What is a word you use too much? Hmm. Kina. <laughs> I'm going to take it. That's your dog. That's, that's yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Number two. What is a word you wish you never had to say again? Kina. 
<laughs> Perfect. Uh, number three, what makes you feel alive? Connecting deeply with people makes me feel alive. Mm. Mm. All right, number four, what repels you? Small talk. Mm. <laughs> That's good. Uh, okay, number five, what is your favorite emotion? I'm going to say peace is my favorite emotion. Mm-hmm. All right, number six, what is your least favorite emotion? Frustration. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's my least favorite emotion. Okay. Uh, number seven, what sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of my daughter singing and playing her guitar. Mm. All right, number eight, what is the sound or noise that you hate? Kina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, number nine, if you could switch Enneagram types for a day, which one would you like to try out? Oh. Hmm. I'm going to go with seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, as 24 hours and one type goes. I mean, seven right? Would be Let's a pack good it one. in. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I want the full experience. <laughs> You're like, one day, 10 pounds heavier. Right. <laughs> Just from that one day. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number 10. If you could tell your teenage self one sentence, what would it be? You can stop trying so hard. Mm. That's good. Okay, number 11. What would you like to hear God say to you when you die? Hmm. Well done, good and faithful servant. Hmm. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing with us Mm -hmm. and, I don't know, just letting us into all the things that you've been thinking through and wrestling with. And uh, there's just so much wisdom here. And I I know that folks are really going to benefit from it. So we're just so grateful for you. Oh, you're so welcome. I just want to thank you for inviting me back to talk and just giving me a place to share. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Lisa Vischer. To connect more with Lisa and her work, go to lisavischer.com. You'll find info about her workshops and ways to sign up. Again, you can find all of this at lisavisher.com. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. You can serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Jason Rugg is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevier and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. <laughs> <laughs>